Hey, church family. So good to be with you today as we gather together to worship God and praise him for all that he's done and and is doing in our lives. And we're so glad that you've chosen to be a part of of worshiping with us today. And I want to wish you a happy new year. Hopefully you had a Merry Christmas and a happy holidays with family or friends or whoever it is that you were celebrating with. And we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today to, to continue in that celebration. And I hope and pray that as we begin this new year that Uh, For each one of you, this year will be filled with God's grace and God's presence and God's peace, no matter what circumstances you may face during this upcoming year. Uh, Because, you know, in this world, and we've found this out over the past year, we're we're not promised uh, that life is always going to be easy or that everything's going to go smoothly or exactly the way that we want it to. But we are promised that no matter what we face, God's presence will be with us. God says over and over again throughout scripture, I will be with you. Don't be afraid, I'll be with you. And so we're promised his presence, we're promised his peace, even in the midst of anything that we may go through. And so I pray for his presence and his peace in your life more than ever in this upcoming year. And I'm so glad that you've joined us today to to worship God and praise him and, and to really start off the year by inviting his presence and his peace into our lives. And hopefully you are uplifted by being with us today. You know, with it just being just after Christmas, I'm reminded of the story of the dad who was disciplining one of his sons after his son had gotten in trouble for something he'd done. It was just after Christmas. And the dad said to his young son, he said, go to my room. And the young son kind of looked at him like, Do you, don't you mean go to, to my room? And, and the dad said, no, go to my room. I want you to go to my room, not your room. I want you to go to, to my room. And so the young son's like, okay, well, whatever you say, yes, sir, I'll, I'll go to, to your room. And so the young son goes into his parents' room. And, and when he goes in there, the mom kind of turns to the dad. And she's like, what was that about? You're sending him into our room? I thought you were punishing him. And, and the dad said, well, have you seen his room? He's got a TV and a PlayStation and an Xbox and a tablet and all kinds of games and toys. If I want to punish him, punish him, I'm not sending him to his room. I'm sending him to our room. And maybe you feel like that after the holiday season. Well, we made it through the holiday season. Christmas is over. And again, now we've entered into a new year. And as much as I love the holiday season, there's something about the feeling of a new year that no matter what's going on, brings hope, hopefully brings hope and anticipation for fresh starts and new beginnings. Although I also recognize that for many of us, our family included, uh, the new year isn't exactly beginning on a high note. But maybe that's even more reason to to be able to open up our eyes for us to see the, the new possibilities and the new blessings that God has in store for us during the upcoming year, and especially considering everything that happened in the past year, I think we're all ready to, to kind of put 2020 behind us. As one person said, I don't typically typically stay up late on New Year's Eve, but this year I'm staying up because I want to make sure 2020 leaves, and maybe you feel that way as well. And so I think it's safe to say that we could all use a fresh start and a new beginning. And of course, with fresh starts and new beginnings come those New Year's resolutions. And maybe you don't call them resolutions, but I think we all approach this time of year with some kind of list 
of, of things that we want to change, or at least a mindset of things that, that we want to change, that we want to start doing, things that we want to stop doing, things that we want to get better at doing during the upcoming year. At least I hope that we do. I hope you at least approach the new year with some kind of um, hope that you're going to be a better person that you'd like to improve yourself upon uh, in the upcoming year. And hopefully around this time next year, you're not like the guy who said, I can't believe it's been an entire year since I didn't become a better person. Hopefully that's not you. Hopefully that's not you this year and hopefully it's not you next year either. Well, if you were with us during the month of December, you know that we were in a series of lessons called Christmas is for Who?, and in that series of lessons, we really talked about and dove into the significance of, of what our God did for us in coming into this world. That he left the glory of heaven to come into our world and to become like us, ultimately to die for us, because that's how much he loves us. And one of the reasons Jesus came is so that you and I really can have a new year and a fresh start and a second chance. Our calendar really does profess a profound truth. We celebrate Christmas at the end of one year, and then just a few days later, we celebrate a new year full of new hope and new beginnings. And my prayer and hope is that for us, as we begin this new year, that we can get in position really to get ready to experience a new year, not just on our calendar, but a new year in our lives because we celebrate that because he has come, because Jesus has come, the son of God has come into this world that we really, we really can have a new beginning and a fresh start. You know, Jesus came bringing so many gifts, but just because you have access to a gift doesn't mean that you actually and automatically opened it yet, right? How many of you know what the most popular gift in 2020 is, or was, I guess, at this point? No, it is not the latest game, video game console, and, and no, it's not the, the latest and greatest technology device or high-tech device, and no, it's not the latest and greatest kid's toy or kid's game. It's not any of those things. No, the most popular gift of 2020 was the gift card. In fact, it's been the most popular gift for the last 14 years. And get this, gift cards are so popular as a gift that they account for over half of the average shopper's entire annual gift budget, which amounts to billions and billions of dollars worth of these plastic cash substitutes each year. But if you've ever been given a gift card, which I'm guessing most, if not all of us have, then you probably recognize the reality that somewhere along the way, at least some of the money on that gift card is going to go unused. In fact, surveys and statistics show that half of Americans currently own unredeemed gift cards or store credits with the average person sitting on around $200 worth of free money and unused gift cards, which adds up to tens of billions of dollars in unused money. In fact, it's been estimated that over the past 15 years, this is going to blow your mind, over the past 15 years, between 80 and 100 billion dollars, that's billion with a B, between 80 and 100 billion dollars worth of gift cards have gone unredeemed over the past 15 years. And so all that to say, it's one thing to be given a gift, 
to be given a resource. It's another thing to truly open it up and redeem it. And as we usher in a new year, even though Christmas is behind us, I want to encourage us to open up one more gift that God has left for us underneath his tree, the cross. And that gift is the gift of repentance. Now, you may not think of repentance as a gift, but it truly is a gift from God. To repent literally means to make a change, to turn around, to do a 180. If you're going in that direction, you literally turn around and you go in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. Now, in the Bible, when you see that word repentance, it refers to a couple of different things. First of all, it refers to the changing of one's mind. In fact, that's what the Greek word for repentance literally means, to change your mind, to change your way of thinking. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, and remember, he's speaking to the very people who had just crucified Jesus not that long ago. And he tells them that this Jesus, whom they crucified, that God has made both Lord and Messiah. And Luke says that the, the, the people were cut to the heart, and they say to Peter, what do we do And Peter says this, repent, repent, literally change your mind about this Jesus and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of thinking. And for some of us, as we begin this new year, we need to be thinking about having a change of mind. Maybe you need a change of mind in terms of of how you think about God. Maybe you need a change of mind in terms of how you think about someone else in your life. Maybe you need a change of mind in terms of how you think about yourself. Maybe you need a change of mind in terms of of how you think about a certain issue or, or matter or circumstance in your life. And I wanna encourage you to be open to saying, Lord, is there something in my life that I needed to have a change of mind about? Don't just change something little. God, what do I need to have a wholesale change of mind about in my life? And really, to be honest, anytime we open up the Bible and we read God's word, God is inviting us to a change of mind, to have a different mindset about him or about ourselves or about those around us or about a, a certain circumstance in our lives or a matter that's going on in the world around us, to change our minds. That's what God is desiring for us to do. But it's not just a change of mind that scripture calls us to, because when scripture talks about repentance, it's very clear that the changing of our minds also results in the changing of our behavior. Literally, we change the direction of the course and the action of our lives. It makes me think of the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. If you remember, Zacchaeus was, uh, scripture, Luke says that he was the chief tax collector. And just to give you a little background on tax collectors, they were to collect taxes. Obviously, it makes sense being that they're tax collectors. But they they were employed by Rome to collect taxes from the Jews to then give back as tribute and payment to to Rome. And Rome didn't care at all what the tax collectors did to get the money, nor how much extra they charged the people on top of what Rome required. All Rome cared about was getting their cut. And so tax collectors really were in a position where they could use their position to take from the people however much they wanted to. They, they just had to make sure that Rome got their cut. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. And don't think he got there by accident. 
And yet when Jesus comes along and he calls Zacchaeus to follow him, Zacchaeus doesn't just change his way of thinking. He changes his way of life. And Luke chapter 19, verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I have, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus literally did a 180, and he changed the direction of his life. And so what direction is your life headed? Is it heading in a, a good, positive direction, or is it headed in a negative direction? unhealthy direction? Are the choices that you're making leading you down a good road or a bad road? Are the behaviors in your life centered around serving God and serving those around you? Or are they more about serving yourself and your own self-interest? And so what needs to change in my, in my way of thinking? And what needs to change in the direction of my life and in my choices and my behaviors. And those are usually the ways that we think of repentance and, and usually how the Bible refers to repentance, that repentance is something that, that we do. And, and it, it, it certainly is. But the Bible also refers to repentance as something that God gives to you and me, that it is a gift that God gives to us. For example, in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, again, Peter is preaching and he says this of Jesus, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Repentance is something that God gives. Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Again, repentance is something that God gives. Second Timothy chapter two, when Paul is instructing Timothy for how spiritual leaders are to handle their critics, he says to him, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Again, God gives repentance. In Luke chapter five, verse 32, a passage that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. But do you remember what Jesus says next? He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? To repentance. That's what he came to call us to. In fact, the very first recorded words of Jesus that he utters in public in front of crowds is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, when Jesus says those words, Understand, it's not a pronouncement of doom. I know sometimes we, we may hear it as that repent for the kingdom of heaven is near because we almost picture some street preacher on the corner, you know, saying that the end of the world is coming and, and so repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But when Jesus says these words, it's not a pronouncement of doom. They're actually words of a call to hope that you can repent, that you can change but the, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. I heard a story about an older couple who retired and they wanted to move out into the country and kind of live a simple life, get away from it all. And so they bought a ranch that was kind of in a secluded area, very much in a secluded area uh, for many years. But as years passed, the area around them began to grow and develop up around them. And, and yet even in the midst of all the development around them, they still kept their, very, their ranch house very simple. And in fact, when they moved into the ranch house, they didn't even have uh, indoor plumbing and electricity. It was a very simple living that they wanted to, uh, to, to want to live out. And, 
And yet, despite those modern conveniences not being uh, there at their house, they still loved to have their whole family out for Thanksgiving and, and Christmas because they wanted to take their family back to what it was like when, when, when they were kids and they celebrated Christmas, just a simpler time without all the, 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 the things that were going on around and being able to turn on the TV and do all those things, but just to be together and and, and so there they were, and they're at Christmas, and uh, you know, they've got a 50-gallon drum that they're, they're bathing under, and they're reading the Christmas story by candlelight, and, and the, 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 the old woman, the old man, they loved it. But their kids and their grandkids, uh, not so much. They, they weren't too fond of it. And so after a couple of years of this, their kids and their grandkids had had enough. And so they, they, they didn't exactly make them, but the, the older couple ended up you know, just kind of going with the times and they put in, you know, indoor plumbing, they put in electricity. Why? Because basically their grandkids could see the water tower and the power lines from the front porch of the ranch house. And they were basically saying, grandma, grandpa, repent, right? Because indoor electricity or uh, indoor plumbing and electricity have come near, you know, we don't have to live this way anymore. I promise something better has come. And so again, when Jesus says, repent, it's not a pronouncement of doom. It's a, it's a command. It's a call that's, that's born out of hope. You can repent. You can change because the power of the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, the way things are don't have to be the way things stay. It's possible to change. And here's the coolest part. God's not going to call you to do something that he's not going to give you the power to do. That's, God doesn't just tell you to do something and then say, hey, you're on your own with this. But if, if he calls you to do something, then you can rest assured that he's going to give you the power to do it. And so repentance is one of the gifts that he came to bring. He brings us the opportunity to change and it truly is a gift. I want you to check this out. Uh, this is a picture, if you don't know what this is, this is a picture of the church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. It's built over the place where they believe that Jesus was buried and then subsequently raised from the dead. And there are several interesting things about this church. One of them is something that sits right here in this picture. I don't know if you can see it or not, but uh, it's right below the the ledge on the window. It's just a small wooden ladder that sits outside of the window of this church. It looks like a worker just kind of left for lunch and forgot to grab the ladder on his way out and didn't come back or something like that. But actually that ladder has been there for quite a long time. But I'll tell you more about the ladder in just a second. First, let me tell you about the church of the Holy Sepulchre itself. As I said, it's built over the place where it's believed that Jesus was buried and then rose from the dead, which obviously is central and key and paramount to to the Christian faith, the one that we uh, believe in. But do you know who has the keys to this church, this Christian church that's built over the place where it's believed that Jesus was buried and raised from the dead? Actually, a Christian family doesn't hold the keys. It is a Muslim family, of all things, that holds the keys. Why? Because there are or have been six different Christian groups or sects that have been at war over the church, this church of the Holy Sepulchre, and who has the rights to it. And things have been so full of animosity between these groups that they agreed on nothing else but one thing, that of all things, a Muslim family would control the access to this Christian church of the Holy Sepulchre. And so every day, someone of Islamic faith 
opens and closes a church in the name of Jesus Christ, built on the place where it is believed that Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. Talk about irony. But it's not Islam's fault. It really has nothing to do with Islam at all. It's the fault of those of the Christian faith. It's what they agreed to because they couldn't stand for the other, one of the others, to have the keys to and control opening and closing the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Back to the latter. As I said, it wasn't left there last week. Uh, it's actually been there in that same spot for over 200 years. Do you know why? Because more than 200 years ago, those six groups were at such odds with each other that no one was allowed to change anything to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre without written consent from the other five groups. And so at some point, this ladder was placed up there, presumably by someone doing some work up there. But in the midst of all the fighting and the arguing and the disagreements, that ladder was just left up there more than two centuries ago, and hasn't moved since because those six groups can't agree on where to move it. Now, there's a couple of sad ironies about this. One irony is what kind of witness is it among all things in the Holy Land, in Jerusalem? What kind of witness is it to the power of the name of Jesus if Jesus' own followers can't even be one so much so that they've left control of this Christian church on the place where it's believed that Jesus was buried and raised from the dead to, of all things, a Muslim family. Nothing against the, the, the Muslims, but to a Muslim family of all things. But even more than that, irony of all ironies, this latter hasn't moved for over two centuries on top of the place where it is believed that a dead man was raised from the dead. That a man who was dead was three days later raised to life. The very place where it's believed that the Son of God was resurrected from the dead is now a place where not even a ladder can be moved. Sad irony. And yet the whole reason Jesus came and did what he did was to make it possible for you and me to make a move, to make a change. I was recently listening to some stuff about marriage and relationship building, and I was listening to this one married couple. They were talking about one of the things that they did, and um, among other things, I thought it was really good advice. But one of the things that they they would do every year is they would go out to eat dinner, and they did this more often than just once a year. But every year they went out to dinner for a very specific purpose. No kids, just the two of them for a very specific. Purpose, And so the purpose of the dinner wasn't to talk about jobs or, um, you know, what was going on in, the, in their lives or to talk about, you know, uh, family stuff or issues going on around them or any, anything else like that. The, the purpose of the dinner was to talk about each other, to talk about themselves and to do kind of an appraisal of their relationship. And, and so they would go into the dinner already having kind of done some reflection on, on what's going well in the relationship, some things that need to be worked on, some things that need to be improved upon. And they both get a chance to kind of voice their thoughts over what's going on. And then somewhere in the course of the dinner, in the course of the conversation, one of them will utter their cue. So after talking about the way things are and, and the, what things need to change, one of them will say the cue, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. 
And in the midst of talking about what needs to be improved in their relationship, it's their way of saying, we don't have to be stuck here. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to stay this way. Let me tell you, couples don't just fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. Friendships don't just fall apart. They fall out of repentance. Brothers and sisters in Christ don't just decide to stop liking each other. They fall out of repentance. Families don't just fall apart. They fall out of repentance. And even our relationship God with God, and probably especially our relationship with God, we don't just fall out of relationship with him. Most oftentimes, we, we fall out of repentance. Repentance truly is a gift that God has given to us. It's a way of looking at each other and saying, you know what, it, it doesn't have to be this way. And even more than that, it's a way of God looking at us and saying, it, has, it doesn't have to be this way between us. You can change. And so what I would encourage us to do as we begin this new year is to open ourselves up to considering what is an area of my life that could be summed up by the decree of the status quo. And you say, well, what's the decree of the status quo? Well, the decree of the status quo is the agreement that those six Christian groups entered into almost two centuries ago. This, the, these groups basically said, everything is going to stay the same. It's going to stay status quo without prior written consent of all parties involved. In other words, nothing's going to change. So what is it in your life that's stuck in the decree of the status quo? What is it in your life that you just need to say, you know what, it doesn't have to be this way. I don't have to stay stuck here because Jesus has come to tear down the decree of the status quo over our lives. So what's your move? What's your move? What habits or what relationships are you involved in that give this almost unwritten consent for you to remain exactly the same person that you are and have been? They keep you stuck in the same patterns of thinking and behavior. And, and what if you were to let go of those old habits and started some new habits that would move you in a healthier direction? Or what if you were to open up to those relationships getting a little healthier? Are you moving the conversation in a different direction? Or maybe even you finding some different relationships that will allow you to bust through the doctrine of the status quo in your life. It's up to you. What's your move? What is it in your life that needs to change this year starting today? Because repentance is a gift. And like all the gifts he came to bring, you can find it under a tree, the cross. But here's the deal. You've got to unwrap the gift. You've got to open it up to redeem it. The way things are don't have to be the way things stay. Jesus came to bring new life and new beginnings. He came so that you can change, so that things can be different. And may today be that day for you.